What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice though, they really mean flavor. Like in your face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either, but it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice, anything but subtle. Welcome along to the Final Frontline Podcast. It is great to have your company. I'm Emma Kennedy, and I'm joined by former conditional jockey and top horseman, George Gorman from the Gary Moore Yard. George, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much for having me back, Emmett. It's good to be here. The inaugural Navin Racing Festival, not to be missed. Gather the gang and join us for the weekend of November 18th and 19th for unmissable jumps action, live entertainment, fashion, along with delicious food and drink. You can secure your best price tickets for just 20 euro, but they won't actually cost you that or enhance your race day experience with the Bulmer's Bundle. This pint glass, if you're watching this on YouTube, may or may not be the Bulmer's Gold Cup that they only sponsored for one year and then went, actually, we're not going to sponsor that anymore. Thanks, Bulmers. That's 45 euro for the Bulmers bundle starting 45 euro per person. But you can get yourself free tickets right now. All you have to do is send us a screen grab of you subscribed to the Final Furlong Podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you listen to us. You can email me, radioemmers at gmail.com or tweet us at radioemmers at Final Furlong Pod. Enter via Instagram and Facebook as well. We'll put all the links up on the various different social media sites. There are five pairs of tickets up for grabs. So you and a friend on your way to the inaugural Navin Racing Festival on November 18th and 19th. All you have to do is prove that you listen to the Final Forum podcast with a screen grab of you subscribed to the podcast or our YouTube channel. And many thanks to Navin Racing Festival for the fantastic giveaway. Right, let's get into the weekend's action. We'll begin with the Weatherby Bet365 Charlie Hall chase. Goes to Mouse Morris's seven-year-old gentleman's game, owned by Rob Corr. And uh, this horse was 
bred by Nick Luck's wife. So congratulations, Nick Luck and team. He beats the King George winner and Gold Cup runner-up Brave Man's Game on just his third start over fences. George, what did you make of Gentleman's Game? I, I thought he was fantastic. He did everything asked of him. There was one little mistake along the way, but he, he did what he needed to do. I think he made the fact that he was match fit show. Um, I, was, I was a little surprised he didn't actually take the fight to Brave Man's Game more early on, but I suppose he was hoping Hoy Senor would do that for him, which sort of turned out not to be the case so much. I think when Hoy Senor went to press on was when he made the mistake up the straight, just as the pace lifted. I think when he's when he's got time, a hoist in your, he can sort of measure his fences, and then the quicker he's going, there always comes a point where he has to fiddle. When he has to fiddle is when he makes a mistake because he just he's a big horse and he struggles to do it. But um, I think I think all all the connections would be fairly pleased with what went on, like because gentleman's game. This was you know it was a bit of pot hunting essentially, wasn't it? Come come and take on a couple of better horses without a run under their belt and try and nick one off him and he has brave man's game off the back of two really hard races the end of last year i think the brief will have been like for him to like have a day's racing that he's enjoyed and they've not gone overly quick they've essentially had a sprint out the back of the third last and he you know that's not going to leave any mark on him whatsoever and if he jumps the last, he probably would have beaten him, to be honest, which, mm. you know, um, but I wouldn't blame Harry Cobden for that. I I think if he's tried to go on sooner, he probably would have made it tell, but he would have given him a much harder race. And it's it's not about, and these are all important races, but for him, it's not about the Charlie Hall in November. It's It's about Kempton. There was um, a little bit of criticism on social media, as there tends to be, but yes. you know, people were saying, well, some were saying that he was showboating. I don't think he was. I think he was no. trying to give him the easiest race possible, and it's very important to remember, this was not the original plan. Brave Man's Game was being no. trained for the Betfair Chase, and Paul Nichols announced last week that they were changing tack and going for the Charlie Hall because they were worried about what the ground would be like in Haydock in a couple of weeks' time. So he probably wasn't fully sharp. And in fact, he's emphasized that. He said this is it wasn't about that race. It's about having him spot on for King George Day. So in my mind, it wasn't Harry Cobden's show, but there's no way Harry Cobden would do that anyway because he'd get a bollocking from Paul Nichols if he tried that kind of thing. Uh, sorry, like, sorry, kids. Apologies for a colorful language. Um, but he would. He'd get rollicked for doing that kind of thing. I think he was trying to give him the easiest race possible and it looked like he was going to win. And then he's just made that blunder. Yeah, 100%. He's, he's gone out there, like the express intention, obviously, is to win if he can. But the most important thing is that he didn't have a really tough race. And he hasn't, he's shown his well-being, which isn't always the case. Like you look at like when Napoli Tart came back from his Gold Cup and tried to run in the, um, in the Betfair. Like it was, um, these horses, they it can take a lot to come back from these races. And I'd be really, really pleased if I was in the Brave Man's Game camp that he's that he's shown so much like zest for racing still because it's very, very hard to come back from from tough races like he had the back end of last season. Um, and I, I'd be pleased if I owned the other two as well. Mid Midnight River is a horse that he's come here probably again to have a nice reintroduction for the year without hurting his handicap mark too much. And you, you don't really want to be lumping top weight and a big handicap first time out with these horses. It's just, it, 
it's so difficult to do if, if you've got one eye on the rest of the season. I, I imagine with him, he was so good the start of last season. The idea, he loves Cheltenham. The idea has got to be to try and win something at the festival. So if they can just look after him a bit through the early part of the season and hopefully get him there, you know, full of zest and ready to go. Because he's, he's high enough in the weight. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't want to go much higher. And he's run a good race. He was with them to the back of three out. And then the Cassia horses have gone on. And he's he's obviously maybe he's blown up a touch, but I'd be very happy with him. And well, he, he unseated on his chasing debut in twenty twenty one. He was beaten forty yes. links in this race last year, and he was beaten on his debut on a bumper as well. You can't judge him based on that. He's a hoy senor. He's every now and again yeah. a hoy senor will do a hoy senor things, but he's a very very classy horse who just a little bit like Carrick Rambler just needs his first run. Yeah. And he he was with the Gold Cup second to three from home. I know they've they've not gone a mad gallop, but as far as reintroductions to racing go, he was only receiving two pounds from horse rated. Was it? I have to do maths now. Sixteen pound better than him. Like it, I think it was it was a great run, and he would have been looked after the second they quickened up. Um, like I'd be, I'd be delighted with that as a return to action for him. And similarly, people might not agree, but I think that was a great. Um, first run of the season for Hoy Senor because I don't care what anyone says that fall at Cheltenham like that will have knocked the absolute stuffing out of him even even though he's finished second at Aintree he's jumped awfully all the way around and really he made one bad mistake um, on Saturday uh, I, I'd be really pleased with him like again he's probably blown up a touch he's probably been looked after but that was imperative for him was to have a nice round of jumping and not end up on the deck again and you know, preferably jump 90% of the fence as well, which is the, the best you can expect from him. Yeah. He's going, at some point, he's going to have to shorten and he's going to make a what's it of it. You know, he's going to try and land back end first. He can't fiddle. He's, you know, he's, but he, he's um, just a very long horse. It's very difficult for him to shorten up when there's so much back that needs to come together. Like it's, I, you're always going to get that one mistake with him and that's all he's done, which for him is a good round of jumping. And I think that was most important to him. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. Uh, with regards to Gentleman's Game, he's the first Irish winner in the race since Francis Crowley's Sackville, ridden by David Casey back in 2001. So well done, Mouse Morris. He's officially rated 18 pounds inferior, or at least he was before this race to Brave Man's Game, and he was getting six pounds, and he had the advantage of race fitness over Brave Man's Game because he was second to the mighty easy game, the winning most horse in Willie Mullins' yard, and obviously on the line through this, easy game would have absolutely bolted up. Uh, <laughs> what hopes do you hold for Gentleman's Game going forward? I think the Savills at Leopardstown at the Christmas meeting is going to be his next charge. Yeah, it's it's going to be difficult for him now, going back in either, you know, he's probably not, he's obviously not going to be up to winning a grade one, I don't think. It's, it's Tough to say. He's, he might he might well have improved a little bit. He's only seven, but you you know you'd have to have Brave Man's Game to beat him if they met again. Um, th this just might be his level here because it's going to be tough going back into a handicap now for weight he'll have. But he could just be that sort of horse if you can get him in, if you can place him well in sort of level weight grade twos. You could pick up a couple more for the end of the season. I'm sure it just. It's going to completely depend on what the owners want to do with him. They might be of the opinion that 
if they don't have anything else for these like big grade one races that he's going to have to run in them. Well, but, they've, um, they've got a certain horse called Jerry Colomb who we're going to see in Del Royal next week. So they've got him. I think you're going to have to run him. He's got to stay sound, though. Uh, Hopefully he will. The more I think about this season, the more excited I am about him. Actually, more on that in a second. We might be about to delve into some stats. probably my favourite horse in the training. Love him. Still don't understand. How did he get beaten in the... Do you want to know a bad beat story for Jerry Colomb? Go on. I backed him. I backed him the day he was taken out of the Albert Bartlett for the Brown Advisory at 33 to 1. Oh, my God. And then again at 25. Oh, no! I think I backed him again on the day. Joining us on the show now, Jordan Gainford, here to explain. (laughs) I backed him about whatever it was, about 14 months before. Oh, what a sickener. Somehow. You had that foresight to know that was the race he was going to go for. Oh, oh yeah, man. I watched. Uh, was it Dennis won on him in, in a bog one day? Yeah, and um, there, there's no doubt he was going to be a proper proper stayer. Like you know, horses don't tend to come back down in trip from an Albert Bartlett. I know he didn't get to the Albert Bartlett, but he, um, I think there was only ever gonna, the only worry was he might if he wasn't as good as I thought he was, he might have ended up in the National Hunt Chase. But thank God he he came in and he proved he was as good as we all thought he was. Yeah, I'm I'm going to delve into why I'm more excited about him in, in a second when we delve into these Gold Cup numbers. I think you've got to put Gentleman's Game into a grade one. You've got to go for the Savills and find out if he is that level. And who knows what improvement will come on the back of this. There might be tons more improvement to come. That might be his level. But he's still a young horse. He's only seven. And I would imagine there's plenty more to come from him. Who will line up in the Savills is another question because Gallopin de Champ won't be there. He's going for the John Durkin Memorial, then the Dublin Racing Festival for the Irish Gold Cup, and then on to Cheltenham. Maybe... Jerry Kalam is going there, but if he's going to start in Down Royal and they've talked about the Betfair chase, then he's hardly going to go for the Savills as well. And where is he going then? If he is going to go, I wonder, is the Betfair chase still on the horizon for Jerry Kalam? Or are they going to change now that Down Royal has been pushed back a week? That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So maybe he's going to line up there. There's the Savills on New Year's Day as well. There's plenty of races to go for. Do you think Brave Man's game will turn up in the Betfair chase? No. Yeah, neither do I. I can't see it at all. I think it goes straight to Kent. Well, there's a quote going around Twitter. It's from Paul Nichols' stable tour with the Racing Post where he said he hasn't ruled it out. That lacks very key context. He said this was plan B. The race served as an ideal King George trial for us 12 months ago. He went there in great shape physically. We just got cut out on the ground. That's nonsense. The ground's not a problem for him at all. And yeah, I know you can say, oh, he was withdrawn from the Brown Advisory due to soft ground. Well, he was also pulled from another race back in the day due to good ground. But it can't possibly be the ground that got him beat at the weekend because it didn't stop him in the cello hurdle. It didn't stop him in the Cotto Star Novice Chase. Soft ground was no problem to him in the King George. And it was soft ground in the Gold Cup. I don't think it was the ground at all. And and also for the Betfair chase, he said, we would consider it as long as it's not a bog. And with the way the forecast is right now, and the fact that they ran into Charlie Hall because they were concerned about the ground, I don't see him turning up there at all. And the fact it's the Betfair. Yeah, well, it was... It's going to be heavy ground. Well, to be fair, in 2021 and 2019, it was good to soft ground. In 2018, it was good ground. Yeah. Every other year, it was soft, heavy, 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 soft, soft, soft. So no. He's not going to run there. Pop quiz, Hotshot. When was the last time Paul Nichols won the Betfair chase and with who? Would it have been... Did Silvino Conti win it? Ding, 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 ding. We didn't talk about this beforehand, by the way. Uh, 2014. I nearly said Cato Stark. 
<laughs> oh, that would have been going back. Yeah, 2014, Silvio Conti. That was his last winner of the race. They had a couple of years afterwards. They had um, the grey horse, lovely grey horse, um, Bristol de May. Silvanielka, Conti, and Cucard all running in it, and they're all previous winners. So That's like, right. Oh, good memory. The showdown, who was going to be the champion of champions. So there's been a bit of a topic of conversation going around in some of the national previews about how much the Gold Cup can take out of the winner and how the winner fares going forward. I started to think, well, what does that mean for the runner-up? Because if the winners had a hard race, then surely the second in the Gold Cup also had a hard race. So we delved into the numbers. Paul Nichols has won the Gold Cup four times. 1999, Seymour Business. His next season form won the Charlie Hall Chase, won the King George by 17 lengths, won the Aeon Chase at Newbury by 18 lengths, was then beaten in the Gold Cup six lengths and finished fourth. Paul's next winner of the race was Cotto Star, the legend. On his next start after winning the Gold Cup, he was beaten in the all Roan Chase, the limited handicap grade two, by Monet's Garden, who was rated 14 pounds inferior to him. Then he won the Betfair Chase. Then he bolted up in the King George by 11 lengths beat Monet's Garden in the grade one chase at Ascot, and then Denman did what Denman did, beating him in the Gold Cup by seven lengths. Denman did not return until February 2009, nearly a full year after that Gold Cup win, because he had to have a heart operation that summer, and he was beaten 23 lengths by Madison de Burley, who was rated 23 pounds inferior to him. On his next start, he was second to Cotto Star in the Gold Cup. Cotto Star's next season, after winning it, won the Betfair Chase, won the King George by 36 lengths, basically a furlong, then fell in the Gold Cup and was probably beaten when he did fall, although who knows what would have happened that day. Last 10 years, how the winner and the runner-up has fared with a view to this season to put into the context how Gallop on Deschamps and Brave Man's Game will fare. How they've all fared on their next start after the seasonal reappearance after finishing first or second in the Gold Cup. Exactly. 2014, Lord Windermere, 12 starts, zero wins on his own. Won a grade three 13 months after his Gold Cup in Cork, over three miles. His next win came in 2017 in a point-to-point. That was it. Coney Gree, 2015. He was a novice that season, so he was able to run in the intermediate chase at Sandown, the Future Stars chase. He won that by 25 lengths. Didn't win another race in seven starts. The second was Jack Adam. Oh, Jack Adam, he broke my heart. Twice at Cheltenham. 16 starts after his runner-up spot in the Gold Cup. He won the John Durkin Memorial back-to-back in 2015 and 2016 and was second to Don Cossack in the following Gold Cup. Don Cossack in 2016 never raced again. Jack Adam, I just said, was second. We know what he did. Sizing John, the 2016 Gold Cup. He won the Punchestown Gold Cup, beating Jack Adam on his next start in 2017. Then beat Jack Adam again in the John Durkin Memorial Chase in 2017. Only two more starts, no wins. The second was Manella Rocco. 14 starts, only 200 chase wins in 2020. 2018, Native River had been third to Sizing John in the Gold Cup, had 11 starts after winning the Gold Cup. He won the Many Clouds Chase a year later in 2019, that was December 2019, won the Denman Chase in 2020 and the Cotswold Chase in 2021. He ran in five grade ones, zero wins. Might Bice won the Aintree Bowl on his next start by seven lengths, but zero from nine starts after that, including running in the 2020 renewal of the Cross Country at Cheltenham which did not go well, and he was pulled up three times. Album Photo, 2019 winner. First in three consecutive runnings of the Savills New Year's Day chase at Tremor, the grade three. He won it four times in total. Obviously, he won the Gold Cup the next year. The second Annabelle Fly was zero from 14. Album Photo wins again in 2020. The second Santini, zero from eight starts after that. 2021, Manila Indo. His next win came 
this year, New Year's Day in the Savills Chase at Tremor, and only last month when he won a grade three at Punchestown over three miles, two wins and eight starts, he was pulled up on three occasions. A Plutard, second in the Gold Cup, then wins the Gold Cup. So after finishing second, he bolts up in the Betfair Chase by 22 lengths gets beaten by one of Gordon's horses in the Savile's Chase at Leopardstown at the Christmas beating, then does what he does in the Gold Cup, bolts up by 15 lengths, but subsequently, zero wins from three starts, including being pulled up twice. And Manila Indo, we just mentioned, four starts, two wins, pulled up twice. These are all individual horses who have to take that race in their own merit, and they will all have their own unique constitution. What all of this tells me, I wouldn't be overly worried about Brave Man's game for the King George, because this tells you that you can still win a grade one, but I'd be very worried about him in the Gold Cup. I'd also be a little bit worried about Galopin de Champ. Now, he was posting extraordinary racing post ratings as a novice chaser, so it's not like that's the only time he's run a massive RPR or a massive time form figure, but it was a mighty figure he posted in the Gold Cup. I love that horse. I love both of these horses, but I will be looking for something to beat them in the Gold Cup because it is hard to go back-to-back, and it's very hard to come out of a Gold Cup and win grade ones the next season. It can be done, but it's difficult. I think what what um, all the horses you've just read out, what the pattern that sort of emerges is the sort of very good handicappers that manage to place in the Gold Cup do not come back from it. Mm. The very good handicappers find it very, very difficult to come back from it at all. The real class horses, the probably the higher rated the horses that goes on and wins the Gold Cup, they do recover, but it takes time. It takes a lot of time and it takes... It's especially important that they don't have a hard race first time back. It's, they've got to almost fall in love with their racing again, which is what I was saying about Brave Man's game. I think that was a perfect reintroduction for him. What would worry me with Galapan de Champs is if, more, more than likely, he's going to scare everything off that turns up to take him on. Yeah, for more sure. More likely. But if he doesn't, and something takes the race to him, and he has another you know, proper war of attrition it might just end up being that this season goes the wrong way for him. I hope it doesn't. I really hope it doesn't. But that's why it's so important to place these horses on their first run back. Look, Kato Star went to the old road and got beaten. Admittedly, he went and won some bet fairs, but they were fairly uncompetitive. Or uh, did he go to Down Royal on re- reappearance a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, like they went pot hunting with him. They took him away... They didn't want him to have that hard race first time out. And the old Roan is now a shadow of what it was before. But not only that, he was racing against horses like Monet's Garden, Arvik, Vodka Blur, Racing Demon. Like, decent, decent standard horses. I'm sure Madison de Berlo was probably in a couple of them. But um, he's also carrying top weight as well in a handicap, which is tough. Very, very tough. Which I think it's just important that you can find races like this Charlie Hall was perfect brave man's game. Like, he's got a Hoy Senior to take on, but we know he's going to take a while to get fit and his jumping's probably not going to be up to scratch first time. He he didn't want a hard race any more than Brave Man's game did. I think that's most important. It's all about, you've got to watch these horses in their first start back. There's, there's no backing them. There's no backing any of these horses that come out of a gold cup first time back. You've just got to watch and see. And if, they, if you're happy, they've had a real nice quiet spin round, then maybe you can back them the next day. I think the last time Paul Nichols had a King George winner in the Betfair chase, it was Clan de Sobo. Yeah. He ran a minute in 2018. He was beaten at 11 to 1. Then he's a 12 to 1 shot for the King George and he wins it. And he really won it because it's Paul Nichols. 
And Paul has that incredible yep. ability to just find the right horse for that race and train them to, to go and win it. But in 2020, he went back to the Betfair chase with him, and then he got beaten in the King George when he was going for three in a row. I don't see him risking Brave Man's game in that race at all. In fact, I think if, the, if it was still the Lancashire chase or whatever the old name of it was, and not the Betfair chase, and I say this with all due respect to Betfair because they pump a lot of money into racing, I feel like this is only being mentioned because they're sponsoring it. Maybe yeah. Paul feels some kind of obligation to them in that regard, which I, I wouldn't blame him for at all, by the way. They're top price about him. They're going eight to one about him lining up in the race. So, uh, and, and to be fair, there would never be any int of impropriety about that. A Paul Nichols horse doesn't drift before it gets withdrawn. There are other trainers' horses who drift before they're withdrawn from races, not Paul Nichols. He makes sure of that. In terms of the King George, do you think he's going to win this year? I think he will. Off, off what I've seen on Saturday, I, I do think he will. I, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously going to depend what turns up against him. Like, you've, you're going to have some potentially very nice horses there. I just think he's perfect for Kempton. That's that's um, that's as much there is to it. There are going to be other horses there, but they're Gold Cup types. He's a proper he's a proper King George specialist like uh, that we're used to seeing over the years. Like you look down, just seen Edward Stone actually has an entry in the King George. Yeah. I think he's going for it. I believe he's been trained for it. I, I missed that completely. Uh, I think probably Delapan de Champs probably won't come over for that. No, no, definitely push. not. No, unless, unless there's, unless there's a deluge in Ireland and, and even if that's the case, they'll just go for the, <coughs> the Savills at Leopardstown. He's only in there. I think he's only in there to try and give the BHA a little bit of a bonus. Here's some free cash for you, BHA, before we yeah. come over and take all the prize money at Cheltenham. Look, I think um, Jerry Colom could well come over and say, I love the horse for bits, but I think if they both go King George and Gold Cup, it'll be a different winner each time. I think Brave Man's game beat him in the King George. I think he'll beat Brave Man's game in the Gold Cup. I think they're just completely different races. But like I said, he's, he's a specialist. He's tailor-made for Kempton. He's for a three-miler. He's got very high cruising speed. He jumps efficiently but quickly. Like he makes he makes lengths at every fence without over jumping. Like he's just perfect for Kempton. Like he's like a go kart around there. Yeah. Um, I'd, I love Brave Man's game. I put him up at 33-1 to 1 on this show this time last year for the Gold Cup when most people thought he wouldn't go to Cheltenham. I thought, it's the Gold Cup, you can't miss it. doesn't matter. I'm not giving myself a pat on the back for that because he got beaten. So, yeah, I tipped a 33-1 to 1 loser, basically. But I'm just saying that to give reference to the fact that I really like this horse. I'm taking him on. And if that means I'm sitting there with a face like Dot Cotton licking piss off a nettle if he goes and wins, then fair enough. And I could very well do a complete about turn between now and a couple of weeks' time and think that that two-to-one is an absolute gift. But right now, given the record of horses who were runner-up in the Gold Cup, and you're right to point out a lot of them were high-class handicappers who never quite came back, but there's some good graded horses there as well who were just never really the same after it, after a real gut buster. And no, it just it all stops very quickly. For, like, there was some analysis. Like, Darrow Keefe's given Gentleman's Game a fantastic ride, and he absolutely did give him a brilliant ride. But he's also very animated as they're coming down to the last. He's in trouble. Harry Cobden's not. And Harry's just trying to win the race, get it as a simple day out as possible, give him an easy race as possible, not take too much out of him. And he loses. He makes a slight mistake at the last, but he loses enough momentum that the whole momentum switches around to Gentleman's Game's advantage. He's now going with full rhythm, and you've got to get Brave Man's Game back into stride, back into a rhythm, and it's just too late. The winning line comes too soon. 
but also he's carrying he's actually going away from him at the finish so I yeah it's Paul it shouldn't be forgotten it shouldn't be forgotten gentleman's game has done a lot of winning at two and a half like he's he is the speedier horse of the two and they've yeah. had, essentially had a sprint finish out the back of three out and he has raced he is the speedier side. horse and he's getting waste he's going away doesn't mean he's better he's faster yeah I, I don't know what I'm taking him on with because I don't really trust Shishkin but I was going to say there's nothing to take him on with Lom Presse does he retain his ability I'd, I'd want to see it. No. Do you know who I might back, actually? And you're going to laugh. Pick Dory. Real the real whacker is a contender, but Pick Dory would be one. Just because it's Paul Nichols. Like, did anybody think Frodon would win the King George? Really? Anybody really think Frodon was going to win a King George? So, as things stand, I'd, I'd probably side with Pick Dory for the moment, just because he's a 25 to 1 shot, but uh, not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you he can't win the King George. I'm just telling you, it is difficult to come back. Um, there's some some interesting well, stuff Pick there. Dory is, Pick Dory is off a career best, really, isn't he? Like beating Fakaduderi in April takes a hell of a lot of doing, and he did it fairly easily. Yeah, and even if you were to argue that Fakaduderi wasn't the same Fakaduderi as the previous season, that's still his track, and that's his race. And Pick Dory went by him <laughs> like he's not even there. And you've still got, like, Milena Drama's a fair yardstick. He's beaten him seven lengths easy. Like, he's, he's a fairly solid one to sort of go off, go off of. That's just, French Dynamite's a good horse. He's been beaten the country mile. Yeah, there's another one for um, for Rob Core going forward. Uh, all right, well, there, there you go. He didn't run at the weekend, but Pictori is a 25-1 to one shot. Brave Man's Game, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him going forward. We shall see. Uh, and Gentleman's Game possibly heading to the saddles on his next start. Uh hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Mare's Hurdle, you wear it well for Jamie Snowden, was a really good winner, um, beating the much-hyped and much-talked-about Lucia. Uh, what did you make of this performance in the Bet365 Mare's Hurdle? I think it was um, confirmation, which, you know, you'd li- you like to see that you wear it well must have just been over the top at entry last year. Like it was her sixth run of the season. 
it's a lot for a mare like her, especially she does it the hard way. She does it from the front. And she must have just been over the top because she's completely turned four around with Katira. Um, I think Lucia might, may well have run a race in second as well. I don't see many excuses for her. She's probably slightly better on a sounder surface, but she had every chance. And I I think you wear it well. I've, I'd be on this horse's side anyway because I was with her at Cheltenham. But um, oh, good man. Even I sort of, even I thought she was sort of an each way bet. And when she when she went and hosed up, I was a bit surprised. I think we've all got to start getting on board with the fact that this horse, this horse just keeps turning it out, doing it again and again. And I think she's every bit as good as she looks. You know, she's it's it's only nicking a race if you don't do it every time. Like if if you get lucky once from the front, but this horse going out there and doing it the hard way every every single time she runs. I think this trip probably would have suited her slightly better than Aintree as well. Um, she, I think two miles from the front is about where she's at, particularly in soft ground. Um, so I think she gets away with two, four, as long as it's no worse than good to soft. But I think on soft ground, two miles is her trip. Um, but yeah, I think, I just think that's, that is what she is. That's what we've got to start believing that this is a very high class man. I would completely agree with you. I'd say there's not a whole lot between, well, there isn't a whole lot between her and Lassie Mouth. As things stand, she's no. on a, a racing post rating of one four three for Saturday. Lassie Mouth got one four three for her triumph and was one three eight and one three seven on her two starts either side of that. Now, the summer will have kicked in. She's a French mare. She'll probably have grown and strengthened over the summer, and you'll probably see a better Lassie Mouth. But that's not always the case. Sometimes triumph hurdle horses in open company struggle a little bit. Um, those two horses are both going to be you would imagine, trained for the mare's hurdle. Uh, does you wear it well strike you as a horse who's going to be suited by the conditions of, of that race? Or is she more of a speedball? Is two miles more her thing? This is this is what what might... It would worry me if it came up soft at Cheltenham, but her over two and a half round there might not be her absolute optimum test. It certainly, it's not. it wouldn't suit the cheer, I don't think. Um but then, like Lossy Mouth as well, um, I, I, I'm not sure I can have her this season. Like she looked all speed last year. I'm not 100 percent sure she's the sort of horse that will train on. Ooh. I I would be looking no further than last year's second in the race, personally. Um, love Envoy. I interviewed Harry Fry only a week ago for Talksport, and I was saying this to him. I can't understand the price. It makes no sense. Yeah. She her racing for that day to being second honeysuckle would have won the last 10 renewals of the mare's hurdle. And yet we're getting yeah. 12 to one about her and you're being asked to take favorite, a favorites price about the triumph hurdle winner. And listen, Apple's Jade was transferred from Willie Mullins to Gordon Elliott and she went and won uh, the mare's hurdle, but she wanted as a five, she wanted as a six year old, not as a five year old. So no. it's, it's tough. It's tough for her at, at this age. I would definitely be all over love envoy right now. I think, and I, I think it's it's even tougher for a mare than it is for a gelding to go from juvenile company into um into open company, and particularly like a, a real speedball like her. I, I just think it. I would have had my doubts about two and a half anyway, let let alone like stepping up into open company as well. I say I think Lucia is a speedball as well. I just the, the more I look at that race, the more um. 
I just keep landing back on Love Envoy because I think it's probably the most adaptable of the horses in that race, you know? I've got to, I've got um, to correct the record, by the way. I messed up. What's that? I could hear listeners roaring at the two of us. Go wrong, Kennedy. She won it as a five-year-old. She did. Uh, Apple's Jade. <laughs> after bolting up at Aintree, doing what she did, and after being second in the Triumph Hurdle, she won the Mare's Hurdle on her, on, as a five-year-old. Um, when with Gordon Elias. But I still still stand by the fact that it's a difficult thing to do um, for, for those horses yeah, to, be able to come through. There are outliers with every statistic. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just briefly on Lucia. She's been very much hyped up, really talked up. Nicky Anderson has a horrible record at Cheltenham on the new course. Once it gets to the Thursday and Friday, you kind of have to forget his horses. But he's also got a horrible record in that mare's hurdle. She retained all of that hype and she was sent off favourite. Do you have any excuses for her defeat there? Are you keeping the faith with her? Um, I, I thought, in fairness, I thought Lucia was excellent on Saturday. Like She was excellent. Just I just think she got beaten by a better horse. Like, she put 16 lengths between herself and Katira, which takes a lot of doing. I think she's a very good horse. I just, I just think she might just be slightly below the level that's going to be required come Cheltenham. Um, I don't think... I know she'd won at Cheltenham, but I, I, th- I see her as a flat, a flat track, two-mile horse, personally. Mm. Um, if they can find any of those sorts of races for her, it's going to be a different thing. You know what Nicky Henderson's like, who say there's no two mile hurdle races in Britain. Once you ask him, but um, <laughs> yeah, contenders in the sand would be great. <laughs> I, I don't think she lost anything in defeat on Saturday. I think it was more. It's more a case of we should be praising the winner rather than thinking she's underperformed. So I don't think she has. Yeah, I agree. She's actually not been beaten far at Cheltenham or Aintree either. Like she's only beaten four lengths um, at Cheltenham. That's a hell of a performance. I, I see it's one of these things where because she went and hosed up the first twice, she started going, Well, this could be, this could be if she goes, um, she could run the Supreme. That was talked about, wasn't it? As well. Yes. Yeah. And I think once that sort of talk comes in, then when she gets beaten in the Mayor's Novice Hurdle, you're always going to be disappointed. But. Um, I, I, th- I think she's a wonderful horse. She's just probably not going to be up to the top, top level, in t- certainly against her own sex. I think she might be the sort of horse, potentially, what marks she off now? She only has one three six. So she could be the sort of horse you'd get ready for a handicap at Cheltenham and go with the mayor's allowance and maybe make a dent. I think that'd be maybe what you could look at for her. Well, she's in the Greatwood. And... Well, there you go. Like she was ten to one before the weekend, and she's been pushed out to elevens. So it's it's not like they're going. It's not like the bookmakers are um, are freaking out and pushing her massively out in price. And it's it's hard not to get. It's hard not to think back to how excited Nico de Boinville was after that win at Exeter. He was very very animated that day and very excited about her. So I I'd, I'd keep the faith with her. It's basically the same. Yeah, she was beaten four lengths at Cheltenham. But you wear it well, and she's been beaten three lengths of the weekend, so she's made up a length on her. Um, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with being beaten by in the pocket at Aintree because I think that's going to be a really nice novice chaser this season. So there's there's a day for her when that day will come. I have no idea, but there's definitely a day for her. Uh, Gary Moore, the Gary Moore yard in the winner's enclosure. If I was to leave this out, I think you would just disown the final forum podcast immediately. Uh, Botox has great performance. Um, Hadn't seen him since January, but he's got a good record fresh and he's increased that record now. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, he's got a great record fresh. Like I think 
the only times he's been beaten first time out have been in uh, Moss and Hurdle. Was that when he was second to that nice horse of Skelton's? Um, oh, the name escapes me. Sa- same colours, um, the Gredley. Is it Gredley colours? Um, used to run the Hood. I can't remember. Brandon Arkell, anyway. Um, and the other time was on his chase debut, which obviously went exceptionally badly. Um, I think he was the youngest, he was the joint youngest horse here. Should be pointed out that the, of the sort of main contenders, the seven year old and the eight year old pull clear of the 10 year old and the nine year old. <clears throat> he'd be a very easy, he's not an easy horse to keep sound, but he'd be an easy horse to get fit, if that makes sense. Like he's quite wiry, he's very light framed. That I think is part of why he gets through the heavy ground so there's so little of him to pull through it. And I think he's he's just made it tell really that he's he's the younger and probably the fittest of this lot. Not to mention he's not really that far behind Time Hill on ratings. Um, but Time Hill and Dashiell Drasher have iffy form first time out at best. Time Hill was disappointing to me because he looked like he looked like he went there with every chance and just petered out. I was I was disappointed by him to be honest. I wonder how much ability he really retains. Um, Dashiell Drasher, like I said, he, he usually takes a run to get really firing. I've been really impressed with the Paul Nichols horse, though. I, I thought he ran a great race. Um, like moved into it very, very stylishly and then sort of somehow just got battled out by Botox has. But he's a bit like that. If you if you eyeball him, you won't beat him. <laughs> he, he's one of those. Um, yeah, I think say like Gary said afterwards his season sort of maps itself out now um, we just have to sort of hope for the best hope for a clean run with him no, no little um, niggling injuries and things which he's had a bit of a history of but he seems stronger, he seems more robust now and um, it'd be really nice to see him kick on from here potentially you know, become a stairs candidate we know he loves Cheltenham That was going to be my very next question in fact have you decided where he's going to go next? Well, currently he's in the same um, handicap he, that he won last year. The um, is it the Betfair Exchange Stayers handicap hurdle? He might well find himself a bit too high in the weights for that now. Um, there, there's a chance we'll have to wait and see what the handicap has to say. Um, that's an option. Other than that, you've obviously got all the normal sort of stairs hurdle routes um like certainly the, it might be a bit too big of a gap between now and the cleave but you know it was you've got to stick him in at the deep end somewhere and potentially he loves Cheltenham that'd be a, a great stepping stone if he were to become a stairs hurdle horse and you, you'd soon know by running him in it if he is going to be a stairs hurdle horse or if we need to start getting him ready for handicap at Cheltenham so I'd say that will be his acid test, will be probably be the cleave hurdle, I would have thought. Like this is this isn't coming from Gary at all. This is what what I um would have thought myself. This is coming from the real um, brains of the yard, George Gorman. So that's what that's the <laughs> Sorry, Haley Moore, I'm gonna reveal the the real talking point as to what it is that turned things around. No, uh, legendary trainer, uh, Gary Moore obviously knows exactly yeah. what he's doing, but um, obviously helped greatly by by George. But that's that's what you would do. That, that that's the last. That'd be my last stop on the way to Cheltenham. Certainly, I knowing Gary, as long as he's not absolutely hammered by the handicapper, the that 
Haylock race could well be on the cards again. Like he wouldn't be shy of running one under a, a big weight in a handicap to find out sort of what they're made of. So I wouldn't, even though he had to have the entry in before the other day, I wouldn't write that race off at all just because he's now gone and won a grade two think that he won't now be running in a handicap. Like Sadi Gruji used to start every season off in a handicap. Yeah. Yeah. Editor Dajit started it off in a handicap last year, didn't he? He was beaten by Dad's lad at Cheltenham. He did. And that he one. did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Haddix to Zobo this year. Yeah, that all worked out pretty well, to be fair. Uh, we don't talk about race performances and what we all think about horses beforehand because we want it to be as natural as possible. Although there's different ways of doing that, but there was a horse that you were, he was already on the list, but one you were very, very keen to talk about, and that is uh, Gavin Carmel and Sean Flanagan with Let's Be Clear About It, who won the grade three novice chase over two mile four on soft ground at Cork on Sunday. Um, two from two over fences now, and you were very impressed with him. Yeah, like this this horse absolutely knocked my eye out racing around. Like this, is it what, what can be hard to understand when you haven't ridden in races sometimes? There are different types of good jumper. There's, let's say, what, what my boy Larry is, is a horse that says, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. He's as good as you are. If you, if you ask him a question, He'll go, I don't know if I can do that, but I'll give it a go. And those are lovely horses to ride because they'll they'll put their life on the line for you. They'll do any whatever you ask, they'll do it. An even better type of jumper is one that you get it wrong and they tell you to sit still. Like, you know, they'll ju- they'll just go, Oh no, no, I've I've got this. Both those kinds of horses, you're talking about whether you meet a fence short or long or whatever. This sort of horse is incredibly rare. And it's a horse that's thinking about the fence 10 strides out and ensures it never meets the fence wrong. And he didn't. He met every fence on the same stride on the way around at court. Honestly, go and watch it back. This horse is thinking 10 strides away from a fence. And if if he can see he's going to be half a stride too short, he'll change legs about eight, nine strides from the fence to bridge that gap to then put himself on a perfect stride. They are rare. They don't come along all the time. Like they are incredibly, an incredible level of depth perception, an incredible level of intelligence to put themselves right at every fence. And I don't think I've ever seen a horse do it first time out. I don't think I've ever seen a horse like with that. Like that comes with years and years of chasing experience. But they're they're so rare. These horses that just every fence on the right. And it's going to be more difficult for him to do it for sure, coming into like bigger, like harder grades of races where he might be under more pressure. But it's an incredible weapon to have to just be able to meet everything right. Um, the the only question I think Sean Flanagan asked him the whole way around was at the last fence, and and even then, like all he was doing was making sure the horse had already measured the fence out for him. He just gave him a kick to say, come on, when we land, we're away. And he went from being two lengths up, looking like being an easy winner, to being five lengths up. Like he, was, um, he, was, he was absolutely incredible. And he's not, he wasn't far below top class over hurdles anyway. And he can, the way he jumps, he can very easily be a sort of horse to improve 15, 20 pounds for a fence. Like he's very, very exciting. He won the same great, the same novice chase at Goran, the beginner's chase, the Banbridge one last year, and um, it does take a lot of winning around Goran Park. Like, it tends that if you can win there first time up, you're probably going to be a decent horse going forward. And Banbridge ended up winning 
obviously at Aintree afterwards. Um, let's be clear about it as a novice hurdler was fourth in two grade ones, one at the Cheltenham Festival, one at Aintree. He would seem to have a lot, I mean, particularly with the way you're talking about him. You're clearly excited about him. And that that rare ability you're talking about, that it's, it's rarity that a horse is able to do that. Uh, he seemed to learn an awful lot from Goran to Cork as well, and that he was settling a lot better in these races. And all yeah. of those things just present the opportunity that this fella's going to be a serious one going forward. Like He'll be nine by the time Cheltenham, Aintree, and Punchestown comes round. But there seems to be a lot of ability there. And, and you have to settle to do what I'm talking about. Like you can't... Horses are just dragging you into fences. They're not thinking about what's going to happen when you get there. They're just dragging you and then like three strides out and go, oh, Jesus, there's a fence there. What do I do now? And good horses will get you out of trouble. Like very good jumpers will get you out of trouble, which is what he did first time out. He sort of ran in. He ran. He just ran at them and worked out when he got there. The amount he had learned from first to second time was incredible. Like even then, his only real mistake was at the last. So he's heavily eased. Like, and that was almost, it was almost a shock to him then having to, like try and measure a fence going that slow with no pressure on. I think it was probably a mistake more because he was eased rather than because he was tired or anything like that. It was just, it was more suddenly, oh, the pressure's off. What do I do? And he's just made a bit of a mess of it. But that for, yeah, I, I'm very, very excited about this horse. Yeah, and the horse he beat in his beginner's chase did go on to finish second in the Munster National. And he's already been to yeah. Cheltenham, as we talked about, he's, only beaten five lengths by Stay Away Frey. I think Stay Away Frey is a very exciting prospect for this season. But there's a lot there to look forward to. In terms of his trip, Drinmore was mentioned by Gavin Cromwell straight after the race. He's obviously got another very exciting novice chaser in Flooring Porter. But by the sounds of things, Flooring Porter has to go left-handed and they really want to go back to Cheltenham with them. That was the impression I was getting with his interview with Lydia Islop at Cheltenham um, after that. So I, I looked at the program book. There's a few races that would suit uh, in November. There's another one might be tricky in December, and I think there's something for for the New Year's Day card as well. Um, but Drinmore would be next, so you're still talking about intermediate trips. Do you see this fella as a three-mile chaser in the making, or do you think that this is around about the right trip for him now? I, I think for now, I'd, I'd prefer to see him on sort of a softish surface over like intermediate trips, because I think I honestly think he's that good a jumper. It'd be wasted over three miles. I think three miles is a whole different thing. Like it's, it's not not so much when you're talking like gold cups and things like that. Obviously, that's a long way off for him now. But like, in in, in the RSA, so the Brown Advisory, it, it's much more about being economical and things like that, which he is, which he is. But like, I think he jumps so well at speed, it'd be a shame to sort of blunt that um, that attribute. And plus the Turners, I know is everything's going to change by Cheltenham, but the Turners could end up not being much of a race once again, as it seems to keep doing. Oh, you mean another forerunner race? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I do, yeah, he, he might well have Champ Kylie to contend with there, which I'll be interested in. But, yeah, um, I'm very interested. Unless, in, I'm very unless inter he goes Brown Advisory. So unless yeah. he goes Brown Advisory, so we're letting Tom can go Turners. Or Willie Mullins Gaelic Warrior. Gaelic Warrior, yeah. I mean, it, it is, as you said, it's Willie Mullins Bingo. He's just got uh, any yeah. amount of horses. I'm I'm presuming that Fasal Vega is going to go for the Arkle, as long as everything goes okay with them, but we're not exactly 
splitting the atom with that revelation, and we need to see how he's going to take to jumping anyway. But if Fassel Vega doesn't work out, there's Gaelic Warrior, there's Jim Kiley, there's, there's Factophile, he's going straight over fences, they're not going to go hurdling with him. So there's another one, and I think Factophile has got quite a bit of pace about him, so I would be of the thought process that the Turners would be more the target for Factophile right now, unless he starts telling you he really needs to stay. When you start looking, listing those horses off, Willie Mons has got unbelievable strength and depth in the novice chasing division. But yeah. Yeah. this fella, though, is, is one you're very, very excited about. And we'll, look, we'll learn more about him for the Drimmore at Ferry House. Yes, 100%. All right. Very intrigued by that horse. Um, very intrigued by the second Neil Callan horse uh, to win it at Royal Ascot, Birdette Road. The first one, triple time, has retired to stud. He will not be going for a champion hurdle campaign as a son of Frankel who'll be uh, breeding the finest mares going. Uh, Burdett Road, on the other hand, will not be breeding to anything because he's been gelded. And on his first start since the gelding operation, wins the juvenile hurdle at Huntington for James Owen with Harry Cobden on the board. It's easy on paper because he's won by 12 lengths. I don't think it was easy, though. He seems to be quite hard on himself. Yeah, there was, there was a point they turned down the back where I think... Harry Cobden had to, I think he knew he had enough horse under him that he could just sort of let him go. But there was a definite switch in the race where he was at pains to hold him up. And at a certain point he went, I'm wasting more energy by holding on to him than just by sort of not letting him go, but just sitting against him rather than trying to anchor him. And um, he he worried me heavily over the first couple of hurdles because he was running he was just running through the bridle. He wasn't just keen. He was on his head. And he's he's got that sort of shape, that sort of galloping style that he's very downhill. And when you sort of, when you meet them long, when he met them long, he was fine. He was sort of flicking through the top. When he got in short, those are the sort of horses that will put their back feet through a hurdle. Like just because he's, he's bearing down on you rather than pulling you forward. He's like pulling you towards the ground. And that's where his, center of gravity is then going and i just i worry if something took him on so i'm not sure he's going to be able to hold him up at all really i think he's, he might end up having to make the running on this horse and if something then took him on i'll worry about him but look you he can only do what he did yesterday like he's he, he's absolutely put pushed everything else out of the way a couple of horses with a bit of decent platform and he's treated them with contempt, especially from two out to the line. Like, it was an incredible turn of foot. I wouldn't be going overboard with him. I certainly wouldn't be backing him for anything at Cheltenham just yet. There's plenty more we need to see from him. I'd love to see him settle more. She might well do. He wasn't really, in the grand scheme of things, gelded all that long ago. He was gelded just under eight weeks ago. And I've heard it said before that it takes eight weeks for the testosterone that's already in their system to leave. Oh, no. So it could well be that he's still... Exactly. He could well be a cult in many ways still. You're not you a man anymore. You're, a, I mean? like, you're yeah. a eunuch now, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you'd, you'd see it all the time. You'd see horses that have been gelded for six weeks still like winning at mares and trying to, um, trying to get on top of them and things like that. I, this horse really wasn't gelded that long ago. I've, and so we could well see a change in attitude with him as the season goes on. He could become a lot easier to handle. Um, 
but he'll need to become easier. He will need to become easier. But we were saying that this time four or five years ago about Goshen and <laughs> he nearly went and proved everyone wrong on the big day. Oh, man. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't with Goshen, but oof, that was rough. I, I was with him. Uh, well, of I course you were. And I was, but I was watching from a Labrooks in Liz Duggan. In like I just started working for Henry de Bromhead, so I was the only person there. I think they were all on Aspire Tower, oh. and I was the only person there screaming Goshen home. We then came down the last, and I felt all these pairs of Waterford eyes like turn around <laughs> and look at me like, "Yeah, serves you right." <laughs> That'll teach you, Briss, coming in here cheering on yeah. a British horse against the Irish. How dare you! I was like, I did, I did have the distinction of a of um. One of the best pieces of almost fortune telling ever was, I think, my second day riding out for Henry. Rachel came up to me in the string and said, come on then, how do I beat Goshen? And I swear to God, the words I told her, I could never have predicted what was going to happen, but the words I told her were, there's no way you can beat Goshen. Only Goshen will beat Goshen. <laughs> and I, I hate how right I was. Sure words I were never spoken. I more that he pulled too hard and and pull himself out and blow up. I, did, I didn't mean whatever the hell actually happened. Oh, man. It's still, it's so weird that he did that. And then uh, he did that, and then Corbett's Cross, who I think was the best horse in the potato race, uh, he goes and does what he did yeah. as well. It's an amazing thing how that can just get into a, a horse's mind. What do you think that is? Because clearly Goshen has a, a preference for going right-handed. Aidan O'Brien was on an American podcast Ooh. recently. And he said something that I've never heard before, and I'd be interested to get your take on this, given that you're working with horses every single day of your life, and we're tending to just look at them on screens and read about them on, on screens as well. But he said, all horses tend to be left-handed because when they're born, they're led left-handed. So the natural thing is for them to be left-handed. And when they're right-handed, it's, it's a quirk or there's something about their makeup that is making them that way. Now that's from the Absolutely. that's from the that's from the ghost of Aidan O'Brien. No, I I didn't know Aidan O'Brien had said that. I'm I'm glad he did because I, I it's a belief I've long held with my breakers. Like when I'm breaking horses, in, it doesn't matter if they're dressage horses, racehorses, eventers, show jumpers, whatever they are. They all have a tendency to go left-handed, and I think obviously we do everything from the left-hand side with them to start with. But I think particularly with the breakers i think it starts with the lunging it's quite often you think someone if they're gonna if they're um they've got a breaker they're gonna get on they'll always start lunging on the left brain because they're on the left hand side of the horse it makes sense to send them out and start going left-handed because you're already on that side and quite often then you'll you'll lunge them for 10 15 minutes ago oh god i've got to go the other way before i get on so you'll go over you'll switch it over and you'll only do five minutes on the right brain class because you're you're already ready to get on but you've forgotten and i think that from the very start that makes a difference and then even then when you get on them when you've when you've been say when you're laying over them you're going to turn left-handed because you've got the person on the floor is on the left-hand side the safest thing to do when you're first sitting up on a horse or first laying over a horse is to turn them in a sharp circle because then the front legs cross over when the horse's front legs cross over, he can't buck. 
You can't do anything. You can't hump. So when you're laying over, you'll be turning in a tight left-handed circle around the person on the floor because they can use their body to make that circle tighter by leaning into their shoulder. And then from there, when you're on, when you first go walking around the school, you're going to go left-handed because then the person on the floor is safe. You've got the ed edge of the school on your right-hand side, you on the horse, and then the person on the left can get out the way if there's trouble. Everything starts on the left with a racehorse, with any, with any horse. So it, like you say, for them to have a preference for going right, has to almost be either something bizarre mental or something like or something wrong physically. And what do you think that is then about a horse like Goshen that he has that preference for going right-handed? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I don't think it's physical because he's like it's just it wouldn't make sense for it to be physical because. A lot of what we do at Gary's would be left-handed. Like, it wouldn't make sense for him to have a reason for going right because our, generally our um, routine for the day, we'll go on the rounds and we'll go a couple of trots each way, a couple of cans each way, so that's irrelevant. Then our six, where we do the majority of our work, or the sand, where we do, like, the early work, like, when they're first coming in, are both straight. But how we get to the bottom of the sand in the six is by canjuring down... A seven furlong canter, we, which we can come back round the other way, we just don't often, is by cantering down a seven furlong wrap, like looped canter, which is both slightly downhill and left-handed. So they're either going straight or left-handed at home. It's not physical for Goshen. It should be easier for him to go left than right. So it has to be mental. And it can't be, it can't be the training facilities that some horses are, are at. I mean, it's obviously not at Gary's, but... Are there certain trainers who have their gallop set up right-handed? Like, I know that Bally Doyle have, well, they have a mock Chester gallop, they have a mock Epsom gallop, they have a mock Newmarket gallop, they have everything. Yeah. Jim Bulger has a mock Epsom gallop as well. Um, but are there certain trainers yeah. who train their horses right-handed over left-handed, and could that be the reason? But it, it wouldn't be necessarily, like, preference why you train them like that. It might just be that's the way that you're land is set up or that's the only gallop you have access to that it's it's much easier if you've got a big plot of land but if it's narrow across the middle or whatever you can't fit a six furlong straight in but you might be able to fit a six furlong gallop in round a field so it's got a bend in it and then those horses in general are going to be better going the direction that they go around at home which is why we i i, I don't you'd have to ask gary I'd say is the reason that we don't often work around that seven furlong gallop. We work them on the straight gallop. Okay. Because it, it gives them the opportunity. If horse hangs left, we'll put them on the right and put another horse on that side to stop them from hanging, to help them straighten up. Whereas that's a, it's a bit trickier to do around, a, around R7, which is more used to get from the top of the gallop to the bottom, is to keep their blood rate up, their heart rate up. And despite... But, um, for sure... And despite all for sure, that, trainers could affect could affect which way they prefer to go. Despite all of that, Goshen still like, nah, I want to go right-handed. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, he's yeah, he doesn't really hang that much at home, to be honest. So it's it's, it's definitely mental. Oh, like, he saves only he saves the whole like, thing for the track, so just to really yeah, mess with yeah, you. He certainly doesn't. He'd hang schooling. He'd hang schooling, but he wouldn't hang going up the gallop. 
So he was rated 80 on the flat, and this isn't always an exact science. It doesn't always transpire that way. But he had a rating of 80 on the flat. Uh, this fellow was rated over 100, this bird at road. He, he yeah. wins at Royal Ascot, a valuable handicap. And then he's fourth in third, in fact, in a group three at Windsor behind Passenger. Uh, that was a, a 10 furlong group three. Now, I, I like Passenger, and here's a pop quiz for you. Did I ask you this last week? How many winners has Sir Michael Stout trained this year in the UK? No, you didn't. Uh, I wouldn't know. I, I should know because Reese rides for him, <laughs> but I don't know. 27. Oof. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's possible he's added to that since, but it was that number after Champions Day, and it was still that number leading up to the Breeders' Cup. So maybe he's had a winner over the weekend because it's, aside from the Breeders' Cup, it's been all the jumps racing. But um, I, I'm, I would be excited about Passenger for next season, but even like a horse like Baybridge, I wouldn't be rating what that horse did this season or holding it against him. I think you'll you'll see a much different horse next season. But anyway, I digress. Um, the fact that Burdett Road... just looking something up quick. Okay. I, we, we, yeah, we've had, we've had more winners than Michael Stout this season, I think. But is it GB Turf twenty? Doesn't that tell you like, thirty nine? Like, with all due respect, like you're a jumps yard. You know, you like you are yeah. a dual purpose yard, but you're really a jumps yard. That's where the emphasis and that's where the focus of attention is. And you can make. Well, well, I, th I think I'd have to check it, but I think our last two winners are a Group Two and a Grade Two. Yeah, I, th I think that. Well, definitely the Group Two. I'm not sure, but yeah, but that's that's extraordinary, by the way. Um, but clearly things haven't gone to plan at Sir Michael Stout's yard this season. And clearly things weren't going well at Charlie Appleby's yard for quite some time. So something was up. I know there was a whole conversation around the new market area about the rapeseed and that that was causing a bit of chaos. Yeah. And there were, there were certain trainers. In fact, we have this conversation. Do we have it on the show? Um, with Richard Pugh. That's a, a special Final Furlong podcast coming out soon. But there was an Irish trainer that was desperately badly affected by that. Somebody planted a crop of rapeseed yeah. very near to, the, to this particular Irish trainer and his form took a nosedive. And it's only since they managed to get rid of that that things have worked out okay. Now, there's been talk that that's been a problem in Newmarket. I don't know. I can't tell you what the answer is. Maybe they're just out of form for one reason or another. But Sir Michael Stout is way better than that. And Charlie Appleby is way better than the season he had. So something hasn't been right. Uh, in that regard. But getting back to this fella, Burdett Road, rated 101 on the flat. It's rare enough that you get a horse with that kind of a rating that doesn't end up in Australia or Hong Kong or America and is sought after by the big owners out there. It's rare enough we get one of these going hurdling these days. So this is exciting. Great to see it. Do you think that there's a few things you'd want to be tying up before you're backing him for the triumph hurdle? But how high do you think he can climb? If he can translate the engine that I saw on Sunday um, over hurdles, like if he can manage to keep his sort of nose clean, learn, if he can learn to settle, my God, what he could be capable of. But so he's, I, I need to see him do it all a bit more professionally first before I would take a view on him for Cheltenham or anything like that. I, I think it was encouraging, like that he did what he did in the grounds. It's just good to soft, but it, it looked it looked worse to me. Um, it's what it's one thing doing that. Like you look at most of his form on the flat is there's one run on soft and he got beaten out of sight. And flat soft would be 
pretty similar to jumps, good to soft or maybe even good, to be honest. It, he's done a lot of what he's done on a very quick surface. So I was, I, I was very impressed, really, to see how he handled jumps ground in particular. But so we've, we've got to see more. We've got to see more. I, I think it's way too early to be getting overexcited. There's a few races for him coming up. Like he might end up a um, Ascot for that distance at Class 2 juvenile hurdle there. Um, coming up later in the season. I'm just trying to think the races that Goshen ran in that year. Um, I'd have thought the yeah, finale I, hurdle would be... Oh, the finale is gone, isn't it? What do they do with that? Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. Never mind. My brain is still working on last year's fixture list. I need to go down through that again and um, and see what the story is there. Um, by the way, through the ages, ex Charlie Appleby, three year old Godolphin horse, now with a certain Gary Moore. Um, am I right about? Yeah, you picked him up for a hundred grand. What did you make of his debut over hurdles? Um, we we actually ran him once on the flat before as well. We ran him at. Ascot, um, and he was quite disappointing that day, but he obviously went here fit as a result. I, I think he, he probably suffered from trying to chase the winner, but actually to me, he doesn't look like a like an ex-flat horse. He almost looks like a store horse. Like I'd, I'd wait with him a bit. I wouldn't be too worried if he doesn't do masses this year. I could see him continuing to strengthen up and maybe even being a chaser down the line. Like he You've got to see him in person. He, he just doesn't look like a typical juvenile hurdler. So I wouldn't be too disappointed in um, in what he did. Especially if he beat the other horse far enough, which which would please me. But he, he's got a lot of growing up to do. Yeah, he showed potential on debut at Newcastle, but in his three subsequent starts, including the hurdling debut, not a whole lot. But I, I'd be very reluctant to give up on him. Um, briefly, Carlisle, the Colin Parker Memorial Intermediate Chase, two mile four, soft ground, Thunder Rock was well-backed and comes out on top for the McNeil family. They've been doing really well and they've got some very exciting young horses to go to war with this season, but takes the notable scalp of Mahler Mission. This was a nice comeback from John McConnell's horse over a trip that's shy of his best. Yeah, yeah, I think this was a perfect comeback for him. Like, uh, I, This is what essentially what Paul Nichols was hoping for Brave Man's Game, which obviously came to fruition for him as well. But this is an ideal comeback for a horse that's had a hard race that's ended in a tough fall at Cheltenham. Um, and he's gone out and he looked like he enjoyed every minute of it. Like He looked like an absolute pleasure to ride. Um, and he's just got like done for toe up the straight by a faster horse, which... Like Thunder Rock's had his day in the sun now. He's probably enjoyed not going too fast around there either because imagine he's able to sort of get away with a couple of mistakes that, that you know, we've seen we've seen the mistakes he can make in more competitive races. And it, this would have been perfect for him in that he could just sort of hunt round and then sprint up the straight, make a speed tell. Um, I wouldn't be rushing to back Thunder Rock again just because we sort of know what, where we are with him now. He's going to, Chuck in a couple of absolute howlers on the way on the way round. Um, Marla Mission, um, I think I think the world's his oyster really this season. Like you, you could be looking at some um, area nationals, but if he went and won one of them, he could even make step up into sort of proper open company um, if he's able to go and win. Say I, I don't know, like what like 
could even be a Welsh national horse if they were willing to bring him over. Um, well, I asked John you know, McConnell. Welsh yeah, I asked John McConnell about the Grand National. Would that be a target for him? Yeah. And again, I apologize. I, I can't remember the name of the girl who rides him out, but she's like, no, no, no entry, no Grand National. But they didn't say anything about, she didn't object to a Welsh Grand National. And she didn't object to an Irish Grand National. But that does seem to be, I mean, that's pretty obvious that that's the kind of race that he's going to want. And I don't think he'd have any issue. He'd have no issue with the ground whatsoever. So the Welsh National would be a great chat. I guess the, in the me immediate future, the most obvious chase for him would be the old Tennessee, the Carl Gold Trophy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And he'd be pretty well-weighted in that, I think. Um just wonder if, I think ideally he wants further than three miles, but there's no reason he couldn't go and take his chance. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be rushing in to back him in a Hennessy because I think he just, again, he'd get caught out tactically for a bit of pace. I think um, if he rocked up in the Welsh National still off 151, I'd be very interested if he was a, especially if he was a sort of, you know, anything above sort of eight, nine to one, you're sort of getting into each way bet territory and you'll get seven, eight places in the Welsh National probably. Um, I think that's that's a race I'll be waiting for with him. And if he did win it, like you could be looking at some proper open company races. He's only 14 to one for the Coral Gold. Is Coral Gold Cup? Yeah, Coral Gold Cup. Uh, he's only 14 to one for that behind the the mighty Monbeg genius who were supposed to see the weekend, but the weather put pay to that. So I'm very interested in to see what they do with him. Um, and it will be intriguing to see what, where he goes. What price next. for the Coral Double? Coral, the Coral Welsh National and the Coral um, <laughs> Simon Clare? Uh, don't, don't put a bonus on for that, no. <laughs> Simon Clare, can you give us like some kind of final for long podcast gravy train bonus price there, please? Thank you. For 100 to 1. That seems fair to me. It's probably bigger than that, actually. But yeah, yeah well, it's, it's probably way bigger than that. In fact, actually, thousand to one, Simon. <laughs> Let's see if we can get that going, shall we? Um, yeah, we saw some plenty of young horses over the weekend, including a, a Nicky Henderson novice hurdler. There's some very, very exciting novice hurdlers entered to run this weekend. We might run through them just before we we uh, wrap up the show. But who really took your eye over the weekend? Um, I had a couple of horses at Ascot that caught my eye. There is the Chris Gordon horse in the Sodexo Gold Cup uh, on Anson Prez. Went through the race really smoothly and was one of two horses who was just, obviously the Venetia horse that won it was, looks miles ahead of his mark and presumably will hose up again next time. But um, when, he's hit, when that horse has hit the front, he sort of had a look around and he sort of propped into the last, almost like he was thinking about refusing. And he's, the two behind him have sort of both been put off by it, ended up in too deep to the fence, caught the top and knuckled over on landing. And uh, look, neither of them would have beaten the winner, but it could end up being a blessing in disguise as long as they're all right, that they're not, they're not going to suffer from finishing too close to that horse because the handicapper is going to show no mercy with that Venetia horse. Like, even um, two for gold is probably going to be caught in the crossfire because they want to put the winner up 10. He's going to have to go up at least three or four, you know, like, whereas I think um, unanswered prayers escapes without penalty. And he's very good this time of year. He won at the Cheltenham um, November meeting last year 
And I'd, I'd be really interested in where he goes next time, especially if it's slightly less competitive than that race. Um, the other one that caught my eye, maybe maybe a watching brief next time, but was um, Twin Jets's was it Chase debut? It was a Chase debut at uh, Ascot. Um, gave a lot of ground away jumping left and still managed to finish a good third in the novice handicap chase there. I'd be really interested in seeing him go the other way around next time. Again, like sometimes those horses that jump left, you think they'll be better left-handed and actually they just make mistakes because there's nowhere to go. But if he can jump a bit straighter going left-handed, he could be very well handicapped. What did you make of the Nicky Henderson novice hurdler, whose name I'm going to absolutely butcher in uh, pronunciation? I've got him up here. Yeah. Django Bay. Yeah, th- thank you. Um, I don't know why, by the way, I yeah, don't know why I'm I, butchering that pronunciation. It's not that bloody difficult to do it, but you know me at this point. Um, but what did you make of Django Bay? Yeah, they, uh, both the first and the second look very nice horses. Um, it's hard to tell what they've beaten, but they've, you know, they've, absolutely push them aside um i want to see django bay racing a bit more evenly like sort of not dissimilar at all from the juvenile hurdler we've just talked about um he pulled very hard and he made a um he made a couple of bad mistakes towards the end of the race but look he's he's fought back he's shown a lot of courage um he's the sort of horse i'd like going forward just quite how good they are. It's just so hard to tell. Um, our horse finished fifth, Pyrotechnic. He's a very, very nice horse, but a complete baby, you know. And and again, they've beaten him twenty five lengths, so it's 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 hard to it's really hard to say um, quite what they've achieved. But that this is a race with a good pedigree, I believe. Isn't didn't Altior win this race? Oh, back in the day, back in the the old school day, twenty fifteen. He did. Well, Nicky Henderson, yeah. the, the fact that Nicky Henderson's got such a good record in the race and the fact that he's won it with LTR as well. That That's just, a lot for this horse. Yeah, because yeah. trainers are a creature of habit. So if they've found a race that they think is going to be nice for a novice hurdler, they'll tend to go back to it. Um, yeah. And he he did a lot wrong, but he showed a great deal of determination to get up, George. I, I liked that yeah. performance a lot from him. I, I will just say I'm not. I'm, I haven't just got some incredible memory for horses that won novice hurdles in 2015. I, I rode in the first race of the day that day. <laughs> <laughs> I would say there's certainly reason I remember. And you made a note of it, and yeah. you went, "That Altior, he's going to yeah. be something one day." That, that that fella, he could be worth following. 18 consecutive wins later, oh. um, what a machine! We made the race for him. We, we had a horse called Britannio Bello, I think, ran in the race that absolutely bolted with Josh and set the race up for Altior. So we never we never received any sort of percentage of prize money going forwards. But, really? You know, such is life. Nicky didn't extend it. <laughs> Thanks very much. Here's some seven brandies brandy for you as a, as a thank you. <laughs> no, not quite. No. <laughs> um, I think John O'Neill's got a pretty decent young team of horses. Well, at least he does on paper. He's Spent a lot of money on, on Irish point-to-pointers. Uh, Johnny Who won in Carlisle yesterday, um, on Sunday. So we're recording this on Monday evening. Um, beat the John McConnell horse, Moon Dorish, which he's not going to be a superstar, but John does like that horse, as he said in the Final Fallen Podcast stable tour. Um, what did you make of John Joe's JP horse? The, the, um, the bit of form I like through here 
is the third horse, Whistle Stop Tour. Lucinda's mm. um, horse. Actually, yes, Lucinda's horse. Won a point-to-point at Loch Ray. And I don't know which horse she bought first out of Primoz or, or Whistle Stop Tour, but she obviously liked the first one she bought so much that she bought the other one. She has both the first and the second from that Loch Ray point-to-point. They've both won since coming to England. Um, which I, th- I always think is interesting when a trainer either buys the winner of point to point and then goes out and buys the second or the other way around. Um, so I think those are two those are two horses that are obviously very highly thought of and been brushed aside by this Johnny Who. Like he he was very very stylish, wasn't he? And how he did it. Um, he, again, I, I'm reluctant to get on board this early in the year. But he could be potentially one for the um, for one of the big races at the festival. I think he was he was that impressive. So you're not entirely saying that this could be a stone cold solid moral for the Cheltenham Festival, but you're not not <laughs> saying it either. Look, I think he, like you say, he's invested a lot of money, um, McManus and John Joe O'Neill this year. I think they're they're desperate. It seems to be they're looking at the shorter trips, though. It seems like they're trying to win. I think they're trying to win a champion chase. Is what they're trying to do. I think he's trying to win but a supreme. The horses they're buying. He's definitely trying to win a supreme, yeah, not a certain. You get a supreme on the way to the champion chase. Nice bonus, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> that's supreme that's in... horses tend to work out into gold cup horses, don't they? But that's a good <laughs> point to make, though. That's a very good point to make. There's a there's a horse making his debut for JP tomorrow. She's a mare, New York style. Um, and she's another one who uh, she's gone up against her stable companion on Tabor, who there's been a lot of talk about. Uh, won a point to point by 20 lengths, runs for Rob Corr, makes his debut for Rachel and Henry. Um, Gordon's got a horse called Sir Cuthbert's Cave. This is such an exciting time of year. Um, we've got who's the who's the horse that I was doing the form for this earlier on? There's a, a decent novice hurdle at Chepstow that we're covering on Talksport 2 on Wednesday. Um, John Joe's got a couple of horses in that race as well, but it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out who's going to be lining up and going where, but there's potentially a decent one making his debut, and his name has gone out of my head now. Um, most importantly, though, and I talk about this horse with uh, Richard Pugh, welcome to Cartier. Have you heard about this horse? I haven't. I haven't, I'm afraid. Well, you're about to. Remember the name. Because this fella is not going to win the champion bumper because he's a six-year-old, and I think the rule is... Do you have any insight in this, by the way? Is is it true? Because there's, there's a major confusion. Paul Ferguson came on the show this time last year and said, oh, yeah, the BHA, are in their infinite wisdom... Now, he was all for this, by the way. I'm not. In their infinite wisdom, the BHA have decided to restrict six-year-olds running in bumpers going forward. So you can only have an X amount of runs before you run in the champion bumper. If you go over that, you can't run on it. And if you're six, you can't run on it either, which is genius because the runner-up of the race last year was a six-year-old. Fiona was a six-year-old. Wasn't Envoy LN that age when he won it? If, if not, Sir Gerard was. Yeah. There's plenty of horses at the age of six who are... It's ridiculous. It's a stupid rule. But if that is in place, then this Paul Nichols horse can't run. And that's welcome to Cartier. I'm told this fella was bought for... 550,000, something along those lines, which is no guarantee about um, success, by the way. But he runs for Johnny Delahaye. Everybody wanted him after he bolted up in a point-to-point at Boris House. 
Um, Richard Pugh and I talk about this horse. He's Richard is very much of the view that once a horse has left the Irish point-to-point scene and is now with their trainer, who knows? But the time he clocked that day would suggest that he's a very, very good horse. And if he makes the improvement that you would like him to make for a man like Paul Nichols, then the 33-to-1 about him for the Ballymore Novices Hurdle could look ridiculous. Now, is this a horse that's going to end up running in handicaps and not turn out to be that good at all? Maybe. Maybe. Have I backed him for the Ballymore at 33-to-1? Yes. Yes, I have. And he's the only bet that I've done for that race. Um, it starts out over two miles, five and a half furlongs. Hopefully he doesn't fall out the back of the telly. Hopefully he goes and wins, but he's an exciting one. Uh, no risk at all for Paul Nichols, owned by Johnny Delahaye. Harry Cobden will be on board. Makes his debut, we think, at Exeter over two mile five in um, in a class three novice hurdle. So remember the name. We'll cover it on TalkSport 2, I believe, on Friday as well. Remember the name. Welcome to Cartier. Uh, Paul Nichols has won this race in the last 10 years. With that horse didn't go on to anything. Cotswold Way didn't do anything. Flash Collange and Outlaw Peter last year. Outlaw Peter had reasonable form. Um, but we're back. Exeter, welcome to Cartier. It's a decent, very good days racing uh, at Exeter. So uh, remember well, that. Name. I will say the second and the third from his point to point um, haven't done much. No, they've done Dream, nothing. Dream Jet uh, won at Stratford, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, is it Stratford? Yeah. Um, and the second. Hasn't done much, but he beat them by 16 lengths and 20 lengths. Don't <laughs> don't burst the bubble, man. Don't burst. He clocked a good time. No, he, Time's all you need. He beat, he beat the miles. It's fine. It's fine. He beat the miles. I don't even know where Boris House is, to be honest. <laughs> I'm Irish, and I don't know where it is either, to be completely honest no, no, with you. Uh, is Editor Dajit going to make his... you see a point-to-point track you haven't heard of. Yeah, true. Well, now, that is, that is a big point-to-point track, and... Um, have I been there years ago? I think I have. Um, uh, I'm presuming it's in Boris. Watch this now. I'm going to get it. Yeah. I'm going to get roasted on social media for not knowing this. How dare it? It's the same as I learned Irish all the way through from uh, from primary school right through secondary school. And all I can say in Irish is, which is, can I go to the toilet, please? Um, <laughs> Editor Dajit, is he going to make his comeback in the Halden Gold Cup? Um, I believe that's the plan. Uh, it's, it could be a very exciting weekend for us. I think we've we got um, uh, what's that? Hansard. I think is in the elite, isn't he? Um, this weekend we got Enter Dejit in the Holden Gold Cup. Who else have we got back? We've got Givega in the Rising Stars Novice Chase. Um, or oh, you're going chasing with him? And Nassalam in the Grand Sefton. Givega's going chasing. Um, yeah, he's, he's, um, he, so he's in this Saturday. So. so he had, I remember this This fella broke my brain. Um, I, I was extremely bullish, un, unrealistically bullish about him going into the race against Great Awning at Warwick. Um, and Mark Milligan was super confident about a horse in that race that got beaten as well. Was it Nosley Road? Yeah, he was super confident about Nosley Road. I was super confident about... Givega, we did kind of like a match bet, and it didn't really matter because, well, Mark won it, but um, our, our fella didn't do the job at all. Uh, he was last seen in the Imperial Cup where he pulled up. Prior to that, he'd been pulled up behind Grey Dawning, but in between those, bolted up at Fontwell, bolted up on his debut, and absolutely bolted up at Sandown. So on his day, 
Very, very good horse. It should be noticed, both his um, disappointing efforts pulling up were on heavy ground. Yeah. It should be noted. Like he's, other than that, you take out his heavy ground ones, he's first, 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 and then his point-to-point was soft, heavy in places, which he won. So he's, he's actually unbeaten on anything better than heavy. <laughs> and he's won by 13 lengths on soft ground, five lengths on good to soft ground in a two-mile, one furlong, novice hurdle seven and a half lengths on good to soft ground in a class four novice hurdle but you can't do that unless you're a good horse. He's posting racing post ratings of 130 127 and 135 he's a good horse and he's a strange horse because obviously we had him a long time before he got to the track like we where was it we bought we got him on the 5th of january 2022 and he didn't run until november um but he was sort of one of those horses, like he was always around the place and he had lots of like little niggling injuries and like any, anyone was riding him, like we were putting the kids on him and things like that. It wasn't until he was entered that I knew he was any relation to Kavega at all. Like, there was there was so little buzz around the yard. Oh, did you think it was just a name? Did you think it was just like a similar yeah. name? The, the connection from Kavega to Kavega never went in anyone's head. <laughs> other than like obviously the people that knew Gary and that because you you don't look at him and think wow that must be you know a superstar like, he's a, he's very like workman like sort of raw looking horse and I think he's still strengthening up all the time it's, it's hard to say really how he's going or how the schooling's gone or anything because he's he's a um, Gary Moore personal project we don't see him <laughs> he goes out like. We, I, I ride out in the dark, but then he'll ride out slightly after we've ridden out in the dark, but before our first slot. So it's, it's yeah, we sort of, I, I see him every day, but it sort of shits in the night. The dam is um, a full sister. What, For those who don't know, the dam is a full sister to Covega's mum. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but look, he, he looks made for chasing. He, um, and if he can be a bit more, a bit more sort of, um, substantial a bit more hardy um going forward he he could be a horse that could really go places he's said he's he's done nothing wrong really like you can't blame him uh, bad ground at sandown's really bad as well yeah and it was it's a big ask for any novice to go into the imperial cup no i, I like um, him i like yeah. him an awful lot he's also by the same stallion as tiger roll and i am maximus He's, that's, that's what no surprise we that's are what, about that's, that's what the breeders yeah that's what the breeders of authorized really wanted <laughs> that's that's what yeah. that's what the, the the um that's what the the dream of when authorized won the derby was oh we can't wait for this fellow to be siring the multiple grand national win, winner tiger roll and irish grand national winner that's what the dream's all about uh funny old game this Right. He he loves them, Gary. I think he went out um, when Goshen when Goshen obviously had his great triumph hurdle season. Um, I think he went out and bought every single one that had four legs that he could find because <laughs> we've got a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a hell of a lot, and still more now. I thought he had moved, hasn't he? He's gone, hasn't he? Or he's gone to Turkey or something? Yeah, he is. Some of the bloodstock experts on the tweet machine were not happy about that. Somehow I rode a three-year-old by him two days ago. 
They're still knocking <laughs> they're about. They're still knocking yeah, about, but, but um, yeah. If if you want to yeah, send every your every time you sort of go around a dark corner in IR, a new one appears. <laughs> <laughs> um, how's the the lunatic, by the way, who ran in the triumph hurdle? Um, he bolted up on debut Jupiter beating Jupiter Yes, Jupiter Jeet. He bolted up on debut beating a hot pot of Nicky Henderson's yard. And there was that great quote from yeah. Gary Moore afterwards with Nick Luck. Like, you can't, you can barely put the saddle on. Yeah, what do you call him? He says he's a, he's a head case or something, didn't he? Um, head or he case. said he's not right in the head. That, that was he it. Said. That was it. He said he's not right in the head. It's about right. Um, he, he's good now. Like he's got um, Niles back on him every day at home, and he, he's actually quite settled. But um, we had a few people when Niall went on his summer holidays in the summer. A few people had a horrible time on him, <laughs> um, including actually, he, he, yeah, he, he managed to get rid of a couple of people because he sort of found he was settleable. But if you oversettled him, he'd just bury you. So second, he second he didn't have pulling to concentrate on he then look at something else and ditch you. So you actually sort of have to let him pull a bit, which Niall's got, like, completely got the hang of. Like, he's... Niall gets him, and I don't know what that says for Niall, because the horse is a head case. But <laughs> they get on well, and um, hopefully that'll be... We'll be able to put a season together with him this year, just keep him nice and relaxed at home and sort of let him tell us how he's feeling. Niall, the basket case horse whisperer. Not that he's a basket case, just that he's very good at being a horse whisperer to basket case. Or maybe he is a basket case, I don't know. The hooligan um, hula Yeah, that'll, that'll uh, wrap it up for us. Uh, don't forget <laughs> that you can enter our competition with the good folks at Navin, the inaugural Navin Racing Festival, not to be missed. Uh, you can join them on the 18th and 19th of November. It's only 12 days away, 11 days away, depending on when you're listening to this show. Uh, get your tickets now for 20 euro or get them completely free by entering our competition on the Final Fallen Podcast because we have got five pairs of tickets up for grabs. You and a friend on your way to the Navin Racing Festival, courtesy of ourselves, and Navin Racecourse on November 18th and 19th. How do you win? Just prove that you're a listener to the Final Fallen Podcast. All you got to do is take a screenshot of you subscribed to the Final Furlong on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, TuneIn, Podbean, Podcast Republic, wherever it is you're listening to us. Uh, send us a screenshot of that on the tweet machine at Radio Emmet, at Final Furlong Pod, email radioemmet at gmail.com or whatever way you want to enter and we will pick five individual winners in the next week. Uh, all courtesy of ourselves and Navin Racing Festival, 18th and 19th of November. You're coming over to Ireland for racing soon, aren't you? Yeah, yeah I'll be over the end of next month. I haven't picked where I'm going to go yet, but we'll, we'll have a look at the at the um, fixture list, and I'm sure I'll, I'll have a day out somewhere. We, Quite like a day out in Limerick. Limerick's a bit of fun. Limerick's great fun. I was just thinking we might push it back a little a week and get to Fairy House for the, the oh right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah the big no, Trinmore I'm, meeting. Hatton's Grace Day. Uh, yeah, that's a cracker. Well, um, that is a good day. What, what date's that? See, now you're asking me a question that I don't have the answer to off the top of my head. And on that bombshell, we are done. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed George's insight. Some fantastic stuff there. Uh, the Richard Pugh podcast will be available for you very, very soon. Uh, it'll be on YouTube, Podcast Republic, Spotify, our, our big dealers with Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and more. Uh, likes and shares on social media. And likes and shares uh, and subscribes all helps with the algorithm. And if you do that and you 
prove that you've got a, a screenshot of subscribing to the Final Furlong Podcast, then you might win yourself tickets to the Nevin Racing Festival. Uh, all helps with the algorithm. It's all a big help to um, the whole team here at the Final Furlong. From Trish, myself, and George, thank you for listening. If you're watching it on YouTube, this is very new for us. We're still getting the hang of it. Hopefully, it's working out well, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon on the Final Furlong Podcast. Be safe, be well, God bless.